0: Some of my friends have said to me, hey, Robert, why don't you tell some of those stories you told us over beer and barbecue here in Texas? So I thought about it, and I opened up my reporter's notebook to start looking back uh, for memories. And lo and behold, I stopped on a name that jumped off the page. Johnny M. I'm not going to say the last name. It could cause trouble. Johnny M. And I'll say Johnny from now on. Johnny became one of my best prison sources when I was investigating corruption in the parole system. He knew everything going on throughout the system. He had a network of informants. How did he have this? Well, Johnny was the reputed hitman for the Aryan Brotherhood. I remember when I first met with him, I was on the Cofield unit. Now, it's one of the older units in Texas. It's one of those places like you'd imagine in movies. And when you go to Cofield, you know you're in a prison. But I remember walking down the main corridor of the prison with the brick walls and all. And there is a yellow line down each side, uh, about three feet out from the wall. And then there's a large space in the center. Inmates are supposed to walk inside that yellow line going both directions and in the center the staff, the guards, and you're not to go into the center. You got to walk the line. And I'm walking that line with John, Johnny, and I noticed that uh, other inmates coming toward us As the moment they would seem they put their eyes down to even turn toward the wall, maybe stop. But it was a it was a sign that they did not want to accidentally disrespect this guy. Now Johnny always said to me that he had renounced the gang. He wasn't in the Iron Brotherhood or the A B S, it was called anymore. He certainly knew an awful lot about what was going on, but he always said, "No, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm out of that now." And I, would like Johnny, uh, you know, they're all afraid of you. They're all turning their, casting their eyes down. What's, what's going on? Well, you know, their moms just taught them to be respectful. They've got good manners. Yeah, sure. What was interesting about Johnny was that uh, he wasn't an imposing figure. He wasn't big. He wasn't ripped. He was actually kind of s- slight. But he had this, this presence. He could have a sly grin, but he just had this presence that you knew, oh, boy, here comes somebody. He just had this air about him. Johnny had uh, gone to prison for... Uh, trying to assassinate a police officer who was somehow involved with a girlfriend. That got him put away. And then there was more trouble after that. But what I had learned about Johnny was that he was a Mensa. He was a genius. He had taken every school the prison system offered in Texas. I mean, trade school, electricians, plumbing, you name it, and college. Every college class, every kind of college degree just devoured it. Very bright guy. I used to say that I could have taken him to an upscale cocktail party, and if I could have covered up the tattoos, nobody would have known. He, he, he read the, when he could, he'd devour newspapers. But on his arms, I mean, he, he had sleeves of Aryan Brotherhood tattoos, uh, typically the various Nazi symbols um, all over his body. Uh, Grim Reaper, scary stuff. If you saw it, it would scare you if you saw it off. It's so different. But again, always, you know, denied that he was a bomb maker, hit man. And uh, there were, you know, I'd learned there were about 13 reputed bombings that he had done that that killed and injured people. But none of them, they never made any of them on him. He'd always kind of gotten away with it. I'd bring it up. He'd always kind of skate around it. But again, for me, he was an extremely valuable source that I had met in there. He knew everything going on. I was able to check out his information and backtrack it in other ways. He, by the way, was also, it turned out, was an informant for the prison system for various crimes being committed in the prison by his own gang. So he was playing a very dangerous game of both sides of the street. There was a case that an African American inmate had come to him to have his transistor radio repaired, and in the prison system in those days, you would lay in your bunk, you would put the speaker of the transistor radio next to your ear, so you you didn't want to disturb your cellmate, but that could cause a fight, and so that was the way people listened to music. Obviously, the uh, the inmate did not know uh, Johnny's reputation with the Aryan Brotherhood. And uh, had his radio repaired. But what had happened, planted inside the radio, uh, were hundreds and hundreds of match heads glued together. Hundreds packed in there with a detonator so that when you would tune the station to the popular african uh radio station out of Dallas, it would, it would ignite the match heads and you... It, Basically, it was a bomb. It would explode. And sure enough, this inmate tuned his radio and it took off half of his face. They never put that on Johnny. You know, Johnny's like, I don't know how that happened. But I've, I've followed him through the prison system. He was always a, going by a great source of information. The other thing that was interesting was that with with the racial uh, pronouncements and all you would hear from other members of the Aryan Brotherhood, Never heard it from him. Never one hint of prejudice uttered. Was he I'd big on his best behavior? I don't know. I spent lots of time and all, and usually that kind of stuff you would think would slip out. Never heard it. Very, very smart guy. Now, because of who he was and his reputation, He was uh, placed in administrative segregation on maximum security units, which means you weren't out in the general population. You're basically in solitary confinement. You are in a very small space. Uh, It has a little stainless steel toilet in it. And on the top of the toilet is your sink, if you can imagine that. You get out about an hour a day for some uh, recreation in a, chain-link fence wire cage inside the prison. Uh, there's only a very small slit at the top of the cell uh, for some light to come through. So thus, I always used to notice he looked pasty. Everybody in there looks pasty, very kind of white, no color at all. And it, I really would take a, quite an inmate to survive as many years as he did in in that, because there's the t- just the isolation being cut off. All your meals come through, this metal slot that opens the door. It opens it with guards, open it with a wrench around the prison system. It's called the bean slot where this tray of pretty unappetizing food will come in. But that was his, uh, that was his life. I remember early on when I was meeting him, you know, the the internet was just kind of coming online. He was very curious about the internet. wanting to know how it worked. What was it? He had this curiosity and I would, I would correspond with him. I would, Again, learn I mean I could learn for I was able to learn from him by unit which parole guard uh, members from the parole system, parole officers in the system that the stationed the prison, which ones were corrupt, who was taking money, knew it all. So the last time I uh, the last time I saw Johnny he was at a maximum security unit. And uh, I sort of stumbled on him. I was there to see another inmate. You've you've heard the podcast Dennis Wayne Hope, the you know, the notorious prison escapee who defied the system, you know even shut off power to the system. But I was there. He was in ADSEG. I'd gone back to interview him and talk with him. And so when I'm leaving, I stopped to see the warden. Uh, one of the wardens really known as a runner. he ran a tough ship. As I was talking to the warden, I noticed way back behind him, there's Johnny. And Johnny is in an area that is the warden's garden, vegetable garden, flower garden. Might sound odd hearing about flower gardens around prisons, but actually, you know, inmates, they have inmates that are working in all kinds of jobs in the system. And one of the things they do do for visitors and inmates' visitation and stuff, they do plant roses and flowers, you know, where you, where you walk up to go in and they do, uh, like for the staff and the guards, they'll, they'll have a fresh vegetable garden to save money. But here is Johnny out. He's got a hoe in hand and, uh, working and I go out and say hello. Uh, so I said, Hey, Johnny, look, the camera crews inside. I opened up my jacket. I said, I, I'm I don't have a recorder. I'm not recording this, but. For all of these years, I've heard the story that you were the bomber in the prison system. So just tell me something. How do you build a bomb in prison? And I remember Johnny got this sly grin on his face. He's got his hoe in one hand. And then he starts looking down, and I follow his gaze, and it ends at the toe of his shoe. And he's tapping on a 50 pound bag of fertilizer. And he looks, I look back up at him, he smiles, he says, You know, I knew about fertilizer bombs long before those boys in Oklahoma City. And I thought, Oh gosh, oh my goodness. And so I had, as a duty, I knew I had to, I had to tell the warden. And so on the way out, I visited with the warden, I said, I, I got to ask you a question why do you have Johnny in working in your garden by your office? It <laughs> was like, hey, you got to keep your enemies close to you. And this guy, I really got to keep an eye on him. And so I explained, and literally the, the blood went out of the warden's face and he just shook his head like, oh my God. And so I left. And then oh, a few weeks later, I got word that Johnny had walked out the front gate of the prison wearing a guard's uniform with a guard's ID and was just about gone. And in the back, way back in the parking lot, a guard who was arriving late for, on the shift recognized him and the, Hey, it was over. Now, Johnny was inside uh, for the attempted assassination of a police officer, I might have said this at the beginning, who was uh, messing With as he said, with his girlfriend. But after 44 years, I've just learned at the time, the day here that I'm recording this, Johnny's out, lifetime parole. So stay tuned. Maybe we'll have Johnny on the show. So you've been listening to the True Crime Reporter podcast. Stay true, stay safe, and stay tuned for more stories, not just from inside the crime scene tape, but inside maximum security units this is robert riggs reporting true crime reporter is written by me robert riggs it is produced and researched by siler burr you can read more about our team on our website at truecrimereporter.com and while you're there please sign up to join our true crime community it's free There's a red box on every page to receive our free email updates with behind-the-scenes information. And you can email your suggestions to fan at truecrimereporter.com. I read all of them. This podcast is a trademarked and copyrighted news organization based in Dallas, Texas. Thanks for listening to our Journey into Darkness.